producer Ethan doesn't like the banter. No, I, the banter is actually one of my favorite. <laughs> is it? You just told no, us to get rid of it. No, because without the banter, it's like I love when I'm editing them. I love to start the podcast episode like midway through a conversation. Then we're like, oh, we're live. Okay, well here we go. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's like that's one of the funniest parts to me. Then the theme music. That's what I like part. about um, the the Office. Uh, Kevin Malone's podcast. Brian Baumgartner. Brian Baumgartner. Yes, yeah. is it's just they they roll naturally into it. Yeah. So, yeah, which is kind of what we've done with this uh, stream because we've been live for about twenty seconds now. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, here yeah. we go. It was, it was good. That's organic. Be- right? Behind the the glass curtain or whatever they call it. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Switchcast Live. I'm your host Doug Tabbitt, and Switchcast is the automotive related podcast where we are searching for the truth and the humor in the car industry and the humor in search for the truth along the way um if it ain't true it better be funny uh tyler sometimes we're neither (laughs) tyler sanders is with us tonight our official supplier of banterer and ethan huffnagel our producer if you're watching with us live submit your questions throw them in we're in the comment flow wherever you're watching with us and we'll do our best to get to them during the show we've got a few different topics to cover tonight some of our usual segments a shrewd negotiator uh, I believe the Corvette curmudgeon, Hank, is back tonight. Uh, market update and um, wall of shame and scaminator. That's what we're going to cover tonight. We've got some interesting automotive news, and we're just going to go right into it. Um, speaking of the market, the market is still doing crazy things. On the wholesale side, it opened up with a 1.8% drop across the board. That is weekly. The weekly market dropped 1.8%, which has been pretty consistent over the past couple months, which is, man, if you run a car dealership, you got to stay way ahead of things because a 2% drop weekly is an 8% drop monthly. So every month and a half, you're losing 10% value on your cars. So, and the average turn is like 60 to 90 days. So not to mention if dealers are floor planning cars, they're paying 10% plus. Well, now they're paying even more. They're probably paying close to 15% on their floor plan. I tell you, it makes me salivate though. Lower car prices. Let's go. I was like, what makes you salivate? Dealers losing no. money? or <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this might offend you, Doug, as a dealer. <laughs> but if cars get cheaper, that means I can buy more of them. What do you want to buy? A 993. Okay. All right. So one in, in particular. Yeah. I'm All not right. buying like, no, nah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, Tyler does want an Aventurian Green Porsche 993 Coupe yes. manual. So. Um. But there's some outliers in all of this, right? So you have the, the regular car market, the luxury car segment, and then you have the collector car market, which is seemingly completely arbitrary, arbitrary, uh, often arbitrated as well. Uh, d- did you see it at Mecham, I think it was this week? There was a like a Pontiac Sunfire from the early 90s that sold for like $16,000. What? I no. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't like a 500-mile car either. It had some number of thousand miles on it. But, you know, I just... It's one of those intrinsic value things that bothers me. I know everything has its ebbs and flows and nostalgia plays into it. But I'm just looking at it going, I have way better cars for 20 grand, a bajillion cars that you could buy for 20 grand 
that are infinitely better than whatever this Sunfire was. Yeah, Sunfires are not good. <laughs> and and it was like the square body one too. And I'm just like, what? Why sixteen grand? Uh, There's nothing sixteen grand about it. I know inflation is going up, but it's man, it, that made no sense. But uh, that's on the lower end of the spectrum to illustrate how just there's a, a herd mentality with stuff and, and there's just kind of the fat of the week with collector cars, it seems like. But on the exotic side of things, we're seeing certain segments of the market buck the trend of everything else. Um, Acura NSXs are definitely following the trend. They have been going down in value. Uh, we sold one last year for 95 grand. The guy wants to trade it back in for 75 and um yeah so that's that's seemingly a normal correction but this week we had a few transactions that bucked that trend first one was in 1997 ferrari 550 marinello that's the first year which is typically less desirable they didn't have some desirable options like the scuderia shields a fiorano handling package and the later ones got mechanical upgrades that were definitely necessary fairly typical thing in the car industry you don't usually want to buy the first or second year of a vehicle until they get the bug sorted out tesla cybertruck anyone (laughs) (laughs) want to be the first adopter of that nope um anyway so 97 ferrari 550 black black twenty one thousand miles tyler any guesses what that sold for uh 140? No, 260 grand. Oh my gosh. Zero options. Literally nothing on the window sticker except destination charge and gas guzzler tax, which by the way was a whopping $6,400. Oh boy. Right. Zero options. No luggage, no nothing that made this car stand out or special. It wasn't a 5,000 mile car, although let's be honest, 25 miles, 25 years old, 21,000 miles is low mileage in the grand scheme of things. But for Ferrari people, that's high mileage. So that was the highest sale of a non-Barchetta, Barchetta, uh, 550 on Bring a Trailer ever. That's insanity. Why? I don't know. The hilarity of it was after it sold, there was the inevitable well-bought comment as well as the innumerable, oh, this, this, this car will be 500K in a year or a million in two years. You just you just bought it early. So, I don't know. It's There have been a number of cars that sold for 550s that have sold for over 200K, but that one didn't seem like the right one to set the market set the record i'm also flicking through the listing here to like just get a get a feel for for what's going on this doesn't feel like the pictures are not even that great half of these are blurry i don't know what happened i don't know i don't know but everybody everybody's (laughs) gonna list their 550 all of a sudden on bring a trailer next week so uh as i said what happened uh there's a commenter on bring a trailer that said it happened for these reasons responsive seller quality car and two bidders in the room understand the value yeah i mean sometimes that's all it takes is two bidders and that just it it drives the market up but we've also been seeing a lot of suspect transactions lately 
I don't think the 550 was a suspect transaction. I think it was a real transaction. It wasn't far enough of an outlier um, other than being the highest 550 sale on that platform ever. Uh, But maybe it's just it's time, you know, that car is having its moment in the sun because it seems like everybody's trying to be a speculator. And once they run out of things to speculate on over here, whether it's real estate or stocks or a certain type of car, you know, BMW Z8s were the thing and now they're not. So it's like, well, let's drive up the prices on Ferrari 550s, whatever. So I I don't know. I just like cars to like cars, but we're here to talk about the market and help people navigate through this. Uh, it's very, very murky waters right now. We need some we need some lighthouses. Uh, in other news, a 9,000-mile white-on-white 91 Diablo. It's a first-year Diablo. It's not particularly looked kindly upon. Again, first-year woes. They had the giant square gauge cluster that no, those are truly like terrible. It was just stuck on from the 80s. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was hanging on from the last decade. <laughs> um, that one fetched a whopping 371,000, which is the highest hey. number I've ever seen for a first year Diablo. While in the face of that, a week before, 14,000 mile 99 VT Roadster, which has got the nice non pop up headlights and a lot of the Audi improvements and stuff, and the Roadsters tend to go for more money. That no sailed at 432. So, oh boy. Yeah. A 91 almost got to the price of a newer model. So, but the, uh, the talk of the week for sure were the Porsches that sold out of the white collection hosted by RM in Houston, Texas. It was the best of the best white Porsches. That's it. They're all white and they were all pristine, low mileage one owner, high specification cars, and there were some really crazy numbers achieved there. And here I was beforehand thinking, well, this isn't great timing with the economy. You know, with car prices going down, they have this huge sale, but no, they they achieved some records. Um, the, the standouts to me, uh, a 2008 GT3 RS with 1,500 miles, one owner car in white, sold for 324000 um, green ones have sold for more. Green has always carried a huge premium, uh, but I don't think this was way out of the realm because I've seen kind of the average GT3 RS sell for 250, so another 75 grand for one of the best ones out there, I, I think, is a reasonable premium. Uh, a 2011 GT3 RS, which is the 0.2 with 490 miles, white over red, which is a not the most desirable color combo. Uh, people prefer the champagne graphics. There's a huge premium for those. Uh, that sold for 412, which is the highest price I'm aware of that's been achieved for a non-aqua blue, non-paint to sample 0.2 GT3 RS. I, again, I don't think it's way out of the realm of reality, but it's a high watermark. The two that bothered me was a 1973 Carrera RS lightweight, which sold for $1.875 million, which, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a 73 RS market expert, I believe the lightweights were in the very low millions, maybe even sub a million, if it wasn't a perfect example. 
um, in fact, a, a regular touring RS that had been converted to a lightweight and was also non-matching numbers sold at Bonham's Audrain auction for like 420 grand. So, you know, this was 5X what that car sold for. It was a very, very good car with very good provenance. And I think the defense for these numbers, people will say is, you know, the best cars with the best stories will always command a premium. Um, but the craziest one was a 918 Spider with 12 miles on it. It was paint to sample, Grand Prix white, leather to sample, and yachting blue, had custom matched luggage, had $100,000 in special wishes options at Porsche. Sold for $3.8 million, which is Ferrari F50 money. My goodness. That one baffled me. I get that it's a one of one, right? You can't reproduce that car. But they made a lot of 918 Spiders, and any other Visoc package 918 Spider is less than half that price. I, I don't know. It's crazy. Also, Porsche just gave you a bunch of stuff when you bought a 918. Holy heck. Mm-hmm. Also, I you know it's a gorgeous car. The white over blue is fantastic. I cannot believe somebody spent a PTS allocation on a white. Well, but it's Grand Prix white. And it's the white collection. You got to do white. Ah, yeah. Right? Do you know my favorite car, the whole white collection? It's a 1977 Porsche 924 Martini. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe that in the company of all of these multi-million dollar cars, this dude had a Volkswagen (laughs) painted with special (laughs) colors because they had to move a bunch of them (laughs) sitting in there. And it sold for a whopping 30 grand, which is way too much money for a 924. I will tell you, though, the crazy transaction of the entire auction. Ready for this? Yep. It was a Porsche 996 GT3 owner's manual that sold for $330. What? You can buy them brand new from suncoastparts.com <laughs> for 80 Are you serious? Brand new, $80. It sold for 330 my somebody just wanted to bring something home from the white collection. I think that was it. <laughs> that I was, think that was the book. <laughs> the owner's manual was white, but the car on the owner's manual was yellow. It's a yellow 996 GT3. So I don't know. But uh, quickly, because we've got to go to commercial. What is the takeaway from all of this? Right. Some 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 numbers all over the board. There's two possible answers. One, I've been wrong this entire time. And cars are investments. And. Something I have said, though, is the best cars will always defy the market. Um, I, I think I think it's odd how it's happening. But um, the, the other possible answer is there's some shenanigans afoot. You know, there's some market manipulation, which I, I think there, there's probably both of those things are true. Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people a part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, a sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. Boxcast is so easy, in fact, that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. So head over to switchcars.com forward slash Boxcast for your free trial. 
And uh, with that, Hank, the Corvette curmudgeon, welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, what? So I, I, I got to ask you, what happened last week? You weren't here. Well, it was snowing. Yeah, it was miserable. I yeah, I'm sitting at home by the fire. <laughs> you didn't. I producer Ethan told us that you didn't even let him know uh, that you weren't coming in. Well, you know, I didn't think I had to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well. Uh, how does that make you feel, producer Ethan? Do you? Uh, you know, it it is what it is. But I mean, he showed up all dripped out and some of his best duds here. He buttoned his shirt all the way up. <laughs> we got buttons on his shirt this week. That is. I didn't no. know you owned a shirt with buttons, Hank. <laughs> Good heavens. Well, wow. Margaret said I need to look a little better because she she put it on the, the, the YouTubes or something and saw me on there and wasn't too happy with That's what right. she saw. Yeah. She, she said I need to make a little bit better impression. Well, now, yeah. All right. That's yeah. good. But Looking no, I'm, pretty I'm, glad he's, I'm glad he's back. I, you know, I'm glad you're back too, Hank. It's always good to, to chat with you a bit every night. Uh, so for tonight, I want to ask you, uh, if you had to buy a car from a non-American manufacturer, uh-huh. what would you buy? Well, that's a good question. That's a tough question. Uh, one, I, I mean, you know, I, I think I'd sooner buy a, a, a foreign car than a friggin' Ford. <laughs> Fords are just pieces of you-know-what. Not a Unprintable not a word. But... Uh, <laughs> And Dodge is even worse. You know, I caught a snippet of your podcast last week. You know, I, I did figure out how to use the, the the app dongle thing on my phone. And, uh, you know, you said something about how Dodges and Jeeps couldn't sell. And I'm like, yep, darn right, because they're junk. <laughs> yeah, Serves well. them right. <laughs> Friggin' aligning with Fiat back in, you know, 2008. That's what they get. That's oh, what they get. Goodness. Yeah, anyway. So uh, no, I, I that's a that's a tough one, you know, um, because there's a political aspect, and then there's just a quality aspect of it, you know. I, I I'm not a GM person out of pure stubbornness. I think they just make the best quality cars, and they always have, you know. And they made the first American sports car, which is. You know this, right, Tyler? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a Corvette, right? Yes. Oh, right. Okay, good. I I knew I still had a little bit of faith in you. So, <laughs> 1953, they made the the first American sports car, and it's the longest running model of any car out there. So, you know, I I you know I have my reasons for liking GM, and I think they actually make great cars. But uh, you know, I I think if I had to buy a foreign car, and and it's tough too because you know a lot of American manufacturers, you know, like like Ford, they're aligned with foreign corporations and stuff. And a lot of them make their cars in different countries and stuff. And that's why I buy a Corvette because it's made in <laughs> Kentucky, right? It's made in the USA. Absolutely. So, um, you know, not these, you know, Mexican Fords and stuff, you know. Well, and but, some, uh, aren't there I, some Toyotas that are built here? Well, yes. Some- yeah. But that's uh, that's a fair point. But, you know, the Japanese also invaded Pearl Harbor, so I'm not going to buy no Toyota. <laughs> that they did. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably buy a Holden, you know, because it's still basically a GM. They're just an Australian company. So I'd still get my GM car, and I'd get the quality and the performance that I want. And a lot of them had Corvette engines, too, in them. That's true. So I'd, I'd get a you know a nice, nice sedan, nice, stout, comfortable sedan with a Corvette engine, and I'd still have my GM product. So that's what I'd buy if I had to buy a foreign car. How are you going to get it here? Well, you know, uh, 
I I just I just buy a Chevy SS because that's a Holden, but it's made by Chevy, ah. so it's made over here. So okay. I, I mean, as well, it's made over there, but it's rebadged for here. So you know, that, that's a foreign car. So right? your foreign car is a Chevy SS, which is in fact a Holden from a company that is American. But well, it's no, built it's in Amer- Australia. No, it's an Australian company. Holden was oh. an Australian company, but they were owned by GM, weren't they? I see. Yeah. Oh, well, you technically the answered sure. my question. That's good. That's a lucid, intelligent, well thought out response. <laughs> do you not think he's like that normally, Ethan? That's offensive to Hank. What the you heck? think I'm a dummy? Yeah, come said, on. I dude. just said it was intelligent. <laughs> why does that surprise you? This is why I didn't tell him I wasn't coming last week. <laughs> you know what, <laughs> Hank? It's, it all makes Hank. sense. You can tell me from now on because I feel like we're we're pretty all right. But anyway, thanks for coming in. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. I hope Margaret has my hot chocolate <laughs> ready for me when I get home. <laughs> And that was a Corvette curmudgeon, everybody, brought to you unwittingly by the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook, which is your source for cranky boomers, overpriced Corvettes, and reinforced stereotypes. Speaking of Corvettes, uh, I will be at Road Atlanta this weekend racing with the Mavericks, which is a a fairly competitive lemons team. So I'll be racing the 24 hours of lemons at Road Atlanta all weekend. So if you're down there, come by and say hi. Uh, The reason this is Corvette related is because they have Corvette C4 wheels on their race car. So (laughs) that's that's how I got there. Um, Let's go to the wall of shame. Uh, The wall of shame, for those of you who don't know, is where we make fun of the customers that we can't make fun of uh, in our normal job because they're allowed to write us reviews as as dealers, but we can't often, you know, make fun of them back. And to that end, uh, I was thinking this week, and sometimes I feel that the entire purpose of this podcast is is twofold, and that it's really self serving. Right? One is for me just to vent about customers <laughs> in a venue where I don't have to be professional. Because when I'm trying to close a deal or when I'm trying to manage an auction on bring a trailer or whatever, the snark has to be regulated somewhat. Not completely turned off, but regulated. And two, it's to give advice to people on things car related that I don't have time to on a daily basis. Because people do call the office and they're just like, hey, can I bend your ear? I'm like, yeah, sure. I charge for that. And they laugh. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, really, I do. Because if... if I'm not working or trying to close a deal or, or working on the business or you know doing something to develop the business, I'm losing money. So to just sit here and chit-chat about something you want free advice on, I can't do that all the time. I know that's an investment long-term in clients sometimes, but then there's also just a lot of people that are information freeloaders. But I do enjoy giving advice and sharing what I've learned. And so the podcast was initially started as an outlet for that. So it's a give and take. I love when people are asking questions that allow me to help you through your car buying process. And I love it when it's done in <laughs> in a format that we set up like, a, yeah. you know, to, to channel it, to, to provide an outlet for that. But anyway, back to the making fun of customers. I just I can't do it on a regular basis. Right. It's it's this is the fun outlet. This is the water cooler. This is the employees at the bar after the fact making fun of their worst, most annoying client. So to that end, the person who earned their way onto the wall of shame earned it literally today. Whoa. Hot off the wall of shame. Yes. Presses. 
I was running an auction this week on Bring a Trailer for a fully race prepped 997 with a GT3 drive line. Pretty cool car. Um, fully race prepped. So it had been totally stripped of its interior, you know, wiring all cut up, rewired, you know, special switches and buttons in a center stack, you know, no radio, no air conditioning, no nannies, it had toggle switches for the ABS, no windows, no anything, right? Everything had been cut out of it and just custom done, stripped of anything that wasn't necessary. So on the, the last day of the auction, at like or the, the day before at 6.30 p.m., somebody asks, oh, I see a check engine light on the dash. Can you advise, can you tell me what codes are present? Hmm. And I like, I see this at 6.30. I probably saw it at like 8 p.m. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, there's so many things I want to say to this guy right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to wait until I'm in the office and haven't had a drink or two. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to I'm going to temper this. So then 830 the next morning, like, be, right. He asked after we left the office and then before we got to the office, asked again, kind of in an accusatory manner, like, did you answer that question about the check engine light? And I'm like, bro. We haven't even like we haven't been in the office since you asked it. Like, chill out. Yeah. So I finally responded. I had a while to think about it, and I finally responded something to the effect of like, "It's a race car. Like, what codes doesn't it have? <laughs> like, this is this is bonus land. You won the lottery on how many codes are going to show up in yeah. this system. Like, everything's been cut. Wiring harnesses have been redone. There's no emission systems. Like." Are you really, really asking this question? And I just, I wanted to just respond. This is the dumbest question ever, and it doesn't deserve a response. But I like, I put some thought into it. I tempered the snark. I didn't want to, but people appreciate it. But that guy for asking that dumb friggin' question earns a spot on the wall of shame. And, oh, and he never bid. Of course. He probably never didn't bid. understand that it's a race car. <laughs> Never bid. That's that's what I love is is the the questions, especially in an accusatory manner that seek to drive down the value of the car and then they don't bid. Well, and also assuming that you're not like work. This isn't your job. Like you're not sitting there like just waiting for people to comment so you can you can respond like. Well, I have, have to a plug life. the computer in. Yeah, it's not like I can just answer You'd you have know, to come back here at home. and to the shop and <laughs> plug the computer in and read them and then compile a response. All of this for somebody who didn't even bid and who's not actually interested in the car. Right. Right. Um, the Scaminator is back. And this one is for you, Tyler. For me. Yes. Oh. This Scam. is another one hot off the press. <laughs> this was a message I received uh, yesterday in response to me offering somebody a price on a car. Quote, Are you the scammer? What? Were no. you the scammer? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. Got it wrong. I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> what are you insinuating? <laughs> not, not that you said it was a... Did, Tyler's you were got to read the rule book again. <laughs> I'm always involved in these scams. It's <laughs> makes it fun. Uh, okay. Hello. Yes, the price suits me. Please write to me on WhatsApp, and I will send you the ID of the person for whom to write the invoice. Oops. And you need full bank details, including Swift. Oh my goodness! So much scam. Yeah, the I feel like look. I I understand that WhatsApp is a reasonable form of communication for a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's 
immediately wanting to move to another platform sketches me out. Like, WhatsApp is fine. How sure are you about that? Oh. About WhatsApp? No, about this this being a scam. It just also doesn't... It's got this... So you tell everybody all the time to look for... Uh, just like I guess odd sentence right Doug for those of you listening Doug is like giving me the snarkiest face right now I'm winking at the YouTube audience <laughs> all right please continue structure yeah no so this uh this was not a scam really this was real yes uh I went back and and the email address was a generic one like it was a bunch of numbers at gmail.com that's all so sketchy but I went back and looked at the buyer's history on the auction platform they had multiple successful transactions over a long period of time Hmm. and we got the driver's license we got all the paperwork signed and we are anticipating a wire transfer this is but you haven't gotten it yet no but (laughs) they have other successful (laughs) transactions so So i guess it's a good thing i'm not a car dealer because there's so many things that would sketch me out that i'd lose uh i'd lose out on some deals (laughs) (laughs) That's yes. what I get for besmirching WhatsApp accidentally. Speaking of actual scams, though, do you, do you remember Clay Tom, Clayton Tom, CNC Exotics? Ah, I think our yes. YouTube audience and our TikTok audience probably does. So uh, if you have a short-term memory, it was one of the largest consignment uh, frauds in exotic car history. Probably, or, or, you know, sorry, the market in... Uh, the U.S., not the largest fraud, but um, for one of these types of dealers since uh, Bobby Kahn in Long Island. So uh, he was selling cars on consignment and buying inventory, but mostly selling things on consignment. And he would do kind of the usual scam where if you had a payoff, uh, so you had a, a bank note on the car that you were selling, he would not pay the car off. He would receive payment from the buyer and then not pay off your loan. He would write bad checks to people. He would just buy a bunch of time. He would take title to your vehicle that you would consign, and then he would go out and get a title loan on it to leverage and pay somebody else. He was robbing Peter to pay Paul all the time. He was then borrowing from clients, getting them to invest money in his business so that he could keep up. It was bad. It was bad. Now, in the past, there have been some people that have done that on a lesser scale, and they have not had criminal charges filed against them because the court said, nope, this is a this is a civil matter because it's a, a transactional issue. Like you signed off the title, you signed off the consignment agreement, you signed over ownership, so you have to chase them for it. However, Clayton Tom and his business associate was arrested last month and charged with 38 counts of fraud. Yikes. One of which was uh, uh, elderly theft. Um, so 37 other ones. So he, he stole more than $4 million, which I think that number is light based on what I heard, but that's what he was charged with, and failing to remit almost $4.5 million in state taxes. Oddly enough, he filed bankruptcy almost two years ago in February of 2022, maybe hoping that that would be his out like some of the other dealers had done before. Like, oh, I filed bankruptcy. The money's gone. You know, 
can't charge me because there's nothing there's nothing there. Um, but on the docket, the court docket, his address was withheld, quote unquote, due to threats. Oh, my. Yeah. Whole. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, with what allegedly happened, I guess. Um, I don't know. I want to be careful. That That's some really like high dollar. There's stuff. no alleged. I mean, I guess this, it did happen. This happened. There was some high dollar stuff moving around. I imagine some folks would be pretty upset by that. And yep. would want to take matters into their own hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think the court withholding his address protected him at all. I'm pretty sure people figured out where he lived, but it's not that hard. Um but you know, I was I was thinking about this a little bit in terms of scammers, right? Because I'm in the process of researching somebody that came across my desk on whom I have not come to a conclusion. But they're they're there's a lot of red flags there that were there for that Jeff Badger guy that did the club motor estates that never became a thing. And he stole millions of dollars from people. Um, but I think there's like, there's two types of scammers. There's people that intend to defraud. Like that is their life. They are, they are a criminal lifestyle, criminal enterprise and they sit around scheming going, how do I steal money from people? And then there's the people who have good intentions or at least good dreams. They want to be successful. They have big ideas, but maybe they're just not good at it. But the, the, the problem is along the way, they make ethically questionable choices, believing that the ends will justify the means, right? That, well, th this will all work out. So whatever exaggeration I tell or lie I make up or whatever I say or do in order to gain notoriety or become successful won't matter because like my success will so far outweigh it. So if I borrow money or do something a little shady, it, it'll all just take care of itself. The problem is that most of the time, those people don't become successful. And because they made compromises, because they chose little lies, they end up telling bigger lies to cover and they get caught in this vicious cycle of, oh, shoot, well, I borrowed that 20 gram from a client to make this car deal, but the car deal didn't happen. So I can't pay them back. So I got to borrow 30 grand from somebody else because I, I got to make another car deal to make up for those two. And it keeps going down this cycle. And then at that time, they get two years in and they're like, well, I'm not going to pay any of them back, but I'm going to keep borrowing money. And it just like it, they turn into a criminal. And I think more often than not, that's how it happens. Um, and everyone else gets left holding the bag. So the but the difficulty with the second type, and this is what I ran into with Jeff Badger. It's like, I knew everything he was doing was not right and not true, but he hadn't technically scammed anyone yet or done anything illegal. And so you couldn't call him out until it was too late. It's like the, the, the movie about pre-crime with Tom Cruise, right? Minority report. Minority report. You can't charge somebody before they've done it. Same thing with calling them out on being a scammer. 
I don't want to get sued for slander or libel because they haven't done that thing yet, but I know they're eventually going to. And so I want to warn people and try to catch them beforehand. But it's very, very difficult because until they screw people over, they haven't done anything. Switchcast is also brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen accurate license plates as they've appeared in movies and TV shows such as Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. So visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. I wonder if Hank would ever put a William Hung plate on his Corvette <laughs> from, from the office. I'm not sure his, uh, his wife would approve. What was her name again? Margaret. Margaret. Ah, yes. Is that new SWITCHCAST lore? Did I, we... think, I think that was previously Is established. That previously? Does he watch, is he an office fan? <laughs> now we got to remember that. I doubt it. He yeah, doesn't like that kind of humor. He yeah, probably watches sure. Cheers. Oh, he definitely just like on reruns. <laughs> yeah, he's watching reruns of All in the Family still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back when TV was good. Yeah. Oh, so the shrewd negotiator is one of my favorite sections. It's it's people's attempts to be really good at negotiating. You know, maybe maybe they watched Exotic Car Hacks and took some lessons, but it's also trying to earn their way onto the wall of shame. This one, this week, was a dealer. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Dealer was was shrewd negotiating. Now, I actually did not play my cards, so I used my, not my burner account, but my personal email <laughs> account, which has none of my personal details or whatever, so you can't Google me, um, and tried to buy a car from an Aston Martin dealer. So they thought I was just a regular customer. And it was an Aston, it is an Aston Martin DB9 Coupe six speed manual. Ah, now I already is. have one, but this car had like 50 or 60,000 miles on it. And so I was trying to buy it for a client. So I was like, oh, I'll buy it cheap. And it had previously sold on P Car Market for low 40s. And the picture showed some, it, it was an okay car. It wasn't great. There's some cosmetic issues that need to be worked out. It had been an all-season driver that I could tell. And so I brought these things up in my negotiations and just said, like, hey, here's some things I noticed. And they immediately were just like, no, 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 it's a great car. None of that stuff is is an issue. I'm like, well, I, I can see it. It is an issue to me, <laughs> yeah. but, but okay. Um, but they were asking sixty grand a few months ago, and I offered them, like, forty three. They're like, nope, you've had the lowest offer so far. You've had we've had dealers offer more. And I was like, okay, fair enough. I've used that line too. And I was like, I didn't really think anything more of it. Got the 20 bajillion emails from the sales manager, the general manager, the marketing manager, everybody. Oh, How is yeah. your purchase experience? And I'm like, oh my gosh, please stop. But um I kind of lost track of it, and then I saw that they lowered the price like 55. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. And I saw they lowered the price to 50. Who getting close? So I was like, all right. So I emailed the my contact there again. And I said, Hey, I saw you lower the price. Like, you open to offers now? And the email <laughs> I got back, right? This is the second price reduction on the car. The email I got back was I did not lower the price. What I did is we had accepted the offer on the car for that amount. As soon 
as I accept offers, I will put those prices online to let people know of a price change in case they interested till we get paid or founds are in the house car is available to others and we are very transparent with our clients this gentleman who made an offer is in california but it might take him three to five days to get founds i think he means funds it's okay being a general manager of an aston martin dealer you don't have to spell um looking for him over three days (laughs) I, i i had a lot of issues with this style right whatever it's his dealer he can do what he wants but i'm like if somebody makes an offer I don't immediately go and like try to sell it out from under them, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, that's what I inferred from that. I accept an offer and then I go put that offer, the same offer I accept, I put that price online so other people have a chance to beat them. That seems ridiculous. Like why would you you're just like creating bad blood. Right. Potentially. <laughs> Two, I'm like, well, I just think you're bluffing cuz that seems like a really dumb way to do things. Right. Like take a deposit, give them a certain amount of time to close the deal, but like work with the client you have in house. Don't piss off two people. Yeah. So anyway, checked it again today. So I think that was six or seven days ago. Checked it again to get. (laughs) (laughs) We run a podcast, everybody. (laughs) I checked it again today. Forty eight thousand dollars. Oh, we're getting closer. I I really want to email and be like. I thought you didn't lower the price. <laughs> sure looks like it from this side. Ooh, let him know. Would you, Did you still accept an offer for 48? <laughs> would you, uh, if it goes down far enough, even after all of these shenanigans, would you still buy it? Yeah. I think it's a solid deal for low 40s. I mean, a friend of mine was also trying to buy it, so he got the same response, and so we've been going back and forth about this, this car. So I just, I'm like, that is the oddest negotiation strategy from a seller not just a seller but like a high-end dealer that i've ever seen hmm. that is that is i wonder weird. if it's in an effort to make them the person who is interested at this new lowered price thinking oh we can't go any lower i gotta move now like to create some sense of urgency even though they've only lowered it because it wasn't selling uh, that's a valid reason to do that i could see that but the the flip side to that is there's numerous times when we've accepted an offer on a car and that person didn't come through and then somebody else offered us more. So if we lower the price down to the lowest we were willing to take for it, we would shoot ourselves in the foot in terms of being able to get possibly more money for it. I don't even so think I there was never an offer. Do that. I don't think I think that was all just a facade. Which is annoying because he said, quote, we are very transparent with our clients. Uh, and I'm mm. like, I feel like you are just lying to my face. Yeah. Uh, um, in the TikToks here, we have a gift from Mr. Nobody, uh, who frequently joins us on TikTok. He's a Mr. So, Somebody in our book. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, like you. Sure. <laughs> he's actually, I don't, I don't believe uh, he's actually, I don't know if he's a subscriber or not, but he's, he's always in here and we appreciate that. Awesome. He says, do you think it's time for dealerships to go away with selling new vehicles and let the manufacturers sell vehicles instead? Well, interesting point. Interesting question. Uh, compelling discussion. Golly, I think that could be an entire podcast episode. Uh, Hyundai, is it Hyundai or Kia? I think it's Hyundai 
is going to be selling vehicles on Amazon now. What kind of awful dystopian future is this? I Amazon? Kind, I kind of like it. Is it going to come in been... one of those Rivian delivery trucks? <laughs> like, They're all going to catch on fire on the yeah. way. <laughs> get your USB cables ready to hit up the Amazon delivery driver and get yourself a free Kia. Goodness. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but well, it's like Prime. You get free shipping, but then it's like this item is available, new or used, from other sellers from this <laughs> yeah. for this amount. And you click on it's Carvana. Yeah, <laughs> yes. right. You can buy oh. a used Hyundai from Carvana off of Amazon. Um, I think it's I think it's time for the dealer model to change big time. Whether or not they are completely removed or or it's a delivery center like Tesla is doing, um, most dealers are are putting their heels in hard and saying no. People need us. This is the way of doing business. People people need salesmen's help when they're buying cars. They need all this stuff, and I don't buy it. Dealers are essentially third-party resellers of a bunch of other people's products they're reselling warranties they're reselling yeah. finance rates they're reselling it's it's kind of how i feel about real estate agents now before i tick off a bunch of real estate agents i feel that real estate agents are very valuable for their professional level of information and their experience in their market what i don't think is valuable is the amount of commission that you're paying them given that they are outsourcing everything related to the transaction. They're outsourcing the contracts often. They're outsourcing the home inspections, the title insurance, the title work. Everything is done by a third-party company. So I feel like that's kind of how car dealerships are. You're, you're They're being way overpaid for the service and the value that they're giving to new car buyers. And I think it could be done far better with test drive centers and delivery mm -hmm. centers and service centers. And you buy and order stuff right from the manufacturer because you can buy warranties online. You can get financing online. You can do all that stuff in a few clicks. Vampire Bear in YouTube chat uh, says that I think he said dealers. I think he means manufacturers aren't allowed to sell vehicles directly in the USA per federal law. Is that true? Yes and no. There are franchise laws that regulate that heavily, but it also comes down to state by state rules. I, I need to look a little bit more into the nuances of the law, but I know certain states have different regulations that impact this because, like, for example, Tesla has delivery centers. Right. A lot of EVs do. Right. But I know that... Um, Ron DeSantis recently signed a law banning that type of direct-to-consumer hmm. uh, sales in Florida. So Tesla can't sell cars the way they do in the rest of the nation in Florida. He essentially upheld the state's franchise laws. So there are federal laws, but I think the, the more strict stuff is a state-by-state -state franchise law. So... Um, <sighs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with either one. I don't, I don't understand why manufacturers can't sell direct to consumers. Why not? Monday, 
Why did I say that? M W G. I don't know what this guy's username is. M W J O B S T. I read that as Monday, Wednesday, Job Street for some reason. We're all struggling he says, tonight. It's okay. Yeah, it's rough out here. Horrible idea for the U.S. The OEMs would go out of business if they had to sell product versus wholesale. Um, like <laughs> American manufacturers would. Honestly, I wouldn't feel badly about that because the foreign manufacturers are offering a better product at a better value. And uh, I'm going to lose more viewers here. They're they're not so tied to the unions, so they're not having artificially inflated prices on parts and vehicles, so they can be far more competitive. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Nobody in, well, obviously, nobody in the new car world in sales or management or ownership thinks it's a good idea for manufacturers to sell direct, but... I, I I think that 20 years ago, car dealers should have seen the writing on the wall and said, we need to adapt and we need to actually provide a new type of value in this new type of marketplace. Um, the millennials and the Gen Zers are going to, I think, overturn the traditional car dealer model within the next decade or so. And the dealers are going to go, oh, shoot, we should have <laughs> we should have adapted sooner. It seems, if anything, they just dug their heels in to to the old ways. Yeah. Because I think before, when you didn't have such a wide dispersion of information, like you would, if you wanted to learn about a Ford or a Chevy or whatever, you'd go to the dealer, you'd see the cars, you'd read the pamphlets, you'd talk to the salesman. Yes. And I'm imagining, I wasn't alive back then, I'm imagining it was less about upselling you on warranties and all weather mats and everything. It still happened. still existed, for sure. But it, it it feels like everything's just been amped up to the nth degree in our current society in relation to that, like, car dealer yeah. situation. of Because I, I haven't done it myself. I've talked to a few people who have, and it's, I won't do it. I don't have a desire to, but I just don't ever want to buy a car from, like, a typical <laughs> dealer. Yeah. It's a bunch of hoopla. Like, I don't need all of this. I, I'm here because I want the car. Let's make that happen and get me out of here. Yep. <laughs> like Yep. Yep. Th- this this is a question kind of well it's not really it's inspired by someone named Yi Yi in here but it, I I'm curious what do you think like the average dealership salesperson like what do you think their knowledge is about the cars that they're selling that they're peddling? Man, that that's a good question. I think it runs the gamut. Um product knowledge is not from my observation, product knowledge is not generally highly valued in car dealerships so much as sales and closing skills. Um, because, I mean, uh, how many more people can I offend? Listen, if <laughs> if if you work at a, a, a Jeep dealer, right, their products right now are, are crap. They are garbage. And it's like, well, if you have product knowledge, how are you supposed to honestly sell people and say like, yeah, I know my product. I know my competitor's product. You should probably go buy a Ford instead, right? Like not every product is better than your competitor's product. So yes, you want to know the, the, the positives to sell to people, but I just don't think product knowledge is that highly valued. Now, when I worked at Land Rover, it was 
part of the mantra there. It was part of the Land Rover way. I had to spend a week learning all the products, driving them, learning every single button and every single control and submenu on the navigation before I was allowed to sell a Land Rover. And that was great. It was a lot of fun because Land Rovers were cool. But that's not the norm. And I think it should be. I want to test drive with a Subaru salesman when I was looking at buying a Legacy GT. And he tried to tell me that the Spec B edition was better in the winter because it had stiffer suspension. Right? I'm making a face. Yeah, Tyler's making a face, <laughs> as he should. And I, when I asked him if I had Bluetooth, he goes, ah, I'll have to check on that. And I'm like, come on, man. That's such like, basic knowledge. Right. Right. Like, if anything, at that time, you'd be selling that up. You'd be like, yes, it's got Bluetooth. You can connect your, your device and whatever. And the only reason he was trying to sell me a Spec B is because they didn't have a regular GT on the lot. So it was like he just wanted to sell what was there. He didn't know what he was selling. He was just making stuff up <laughs> because they had something there. Hmm. Mike. <clears throat> okay. We've got a super chat here on YouTube. Thank you very much, Jeremiah Johnson, a frequent watcher and or listener uh, to our podcast here. Uh, Jeremiah's got a great question that kind of relates back to what we talked to Hank, the Corvette curmudgeon, about tonight. Uh, Jeremiah asks, what makes a car American? Domestics are built in Mexico and Canada. Toyota and Subaru are built here in the U.S. Heritage. <laughs> Who let Hank back in here? <laughs> <laughs> The unions. That's what makes it American. It's got to be built by a UAW worker. Uh, that's that's an ongoing debate because, yeah, the, the, the domestics build their cars in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, uh, sometimes overseas because they have partnerships. They've had partnerships with everybody over the years, Opal and Saab and Holden and you name it. But... Uh, and how heck now the ownership of the company isn't even American. Look, I mean, look at Budweiser. Budweiser's not American anymore. They were bought out by that German uh, InBev. Yes. That like massive conglomerate of other beer brands. Right. So all these red blooded Trump supporting GM truck driving Americans drinking Budweiser are drinking a German beer. So I don't even know what's what's American anymore other than the bald eagle. Chairman. And airbrushing on the, the gas tank of your Harley Davidson. <laughs> now, Corvettes are. Hank told us that much. Built in Kentucky. Corvettes are American. <laughs> and so are Toyota. Somebody else in YouTube chat said earlier tonight, uh, it was Jeremiah Johnson. Toyota plant, Georgetown, Kentucky. Yeah. No, I mean, Honda has a, a plant in Marysville, Ohio. BMWs down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I think the Z3 was the first BMW to be built in North America. Hmm. Um that's been a thing for a long time. Uh, I think both Kia and Hyundai build cars in North America. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's an answer to that. Uh, to me, it doesn't matter, right? I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not on the buy American train for cars anyway. Um, I, I don't, I don't think buying from one country in particular is more like moral versus buying from another country. I, you know, wow, we get into like slave labor and all sorts of other real ethical considerations there in communist countries and pollution and stuff like that. But that's a deeper topic and that's political, so we won't go there. But um, 
<laughs> it's all muddy now. Like before it's, it's it was very muddy. The companies were founded here. The cars were built here. Like that's what it, because it was harder to import and export things like you kind of had what was built in the country you lived in. And in this very connected world we live in now, it's almost like there is no answer. Right. Well, we live in a global economy. So even if cars are built here, the parts are coming from all over the world. The parts are company coming from companies who have subsidiaries or, you know, are owned by companies from around the world. So everything's intermixed. Um, I don't know. I, I guess from a if you take the old school buy American philosophy, I'm more of a buy local or support small business. Right. I think that's kind of the new buy American. Right. Like, OK, this is this family. They own their business. They're not owned by some giant conglomerate. And, you know, I'm supporting them. And I appreciate their values and their hard work. And we know their kids and stuff like that. So I, to me, that's the thing that matters a lot more. But I, to answer the actual question, I, I don't know. I don't know what makes anything American. I, I guess made in America would be the thing. Yeah. Designed in America. Like, I don't know. Like, if they did all the R&D here, does that mean anything? There's foreign companies that do R&D here. Yeah. Hmm. Asking the hard-hitting questions here from YouTube chat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, on that, it is time to go to the props and the flops of the week. And props and flops are brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. So check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. And our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory is what this week, Doug? It is fairly vanilla, but I like it. It's a 2006 Porsche 911 Carrera 2S with 50,000 miles, GT silver over black interior, and a six-speed manual. Nice. Very nice example. It's got the lobster claw wheels or crab claw wheels. People debate Ooh. on what they're called, but, you know. Not a fan. I don't know. Should we call them lobster claws because lobsters are more expensive than crabs? I call them lobster claws. Okay. Lobster claw wheels. I happen to like those wheels. But, uh, yeah, it's on our it will be on our website tomorrow. It's uh, $55,000, and uh, it has a fresh engine with only 10,000 miles on it. The previous one had a probably an IMS failure. so <laughs> Had a little kaboom. The new one has a, a LN engineering retrofit, so we've got a stronger, more reliable engine in there with just 10,000 miles on it. So, yeah, buy with a little bit more peace of mind than a <laughs> factory original. Uh, the flop of the week, the Nissan Skyline uh, is allegedly uh, <laughs> going to become an electric appliance brand. That's right. Uh, they teased uh, an electric R32 Skyline GTR a little while ago, but a more recent report according to Fosbyte's news site, suggests that the model itself will evolve into an electric SUV based on the Nissan Aria and also an electric fastback. The move, quote, aims to maintain the Skyline's legacy in the electric era. Barf. I, so I, I just want to ask them, 
How well did that work out for the Mustang brand? <laughs> Man. What is it, 200, 275 days supply or something <laughs> for the Mustang Mach-E? Oh. It is rotting on dealer's lots. You can buy oh, Kias man. on Amazon. The Skyline is an electric SUV. This is a dystopian future. Man. I, <laughs> Hyundai's, I think, on Amazon. I, I haven't been totally right yet about Carvana because they haven't gone entirely bankrupt, but I feel like I'm still I'm still holding out <laughs> to be right about EVs. Like, there's going to come a time where everybody's just going to have to throw in the towel. Like, there's cracks in the foundation I am hearing in some of the automotive-related stuff that I read or listen to, uh, there's a growing sentiment of, oops, guys, maybe hybrids are the right choice, <laughs> which is some delicious uh, shot in Freud, because even to somebody who's not buying even a hybrid, logically, it just makes sense. Yep, yep. The prop of the week, which is... Uh, mm, it's it's a little misleading that this is the prop, but it's 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 kind of cool. Anyway, the headline is cool. An engineer became the first person to complete a cannonball run using exclusively solar power. And that's about all we know. I looked at like five different news sites and that was like the entire article. <laughs> um there's definitely no proof of the run, as if anyone really cared about that record, because it took him a whopping 60 days. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is that a cannonball <laughs> shuffle? <laughs> like, you're not running. Honestly, I That's think people have run across the country faster than that. Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm Gump. sorry. <laughs> I just kept running. <laughs> um, what's the iron butt? Oh, uh, uh, f- record. Hold on. Guinness World Record fastest crossing of America, America by bicycle. Um, seven days, fifteen hours. He smoked him. That's pretty good. <laughs> by fifty-three wow. days on a bicycle. You could say that's solar power. What? Because you know the. We're not fueled by photosynthesis, Doug. We're not plants. (laughs) But (laughs) the bicyclist didn't drink octane booster. (laughs) I can't. How did. No. Hmm. How did you not get bored? 60 days. I think supposedly like would stay at national parks and stuff for like five days at a time. I, I don't know. There's there's very little info on this Cannonball but there, I, I did do a That's little bit of research on reddit which is a highly accurate and trustworthy source and allegedly the university of university of michigan solar team has crossed the country before in 12 days including stops at various universities to do like demonstrations and stuff hmm. so but that wasn't the actual cannonball route so you know it wasn't ah. They didn't claim a cannonball record. Did he just accidentally drive the cannonball route and (laughs) didn't know about it until he pulled into the Portofino? Oh, man. I I feel like he should have gone like during the summer or something. He could have made it a lot faster. (laughs) Get on the East Coast. It gets real dark. (laughs) Planning is not his strong suit. (laughs) I feel bad. We're ripping on the prop of the week, but like I got some questions. Oh, man, shoot. It was a solar eclipse. What was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) 
And if it's like really stormy or like cloudy or snow, like what are you going to do? There is no time wait. of year where the days are shorter than right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so any i mean it happened so that, that record's up for grabs if somebody wants it it's all you tyler was no, you know i think i've got better things to do it wasn't a cannonball run it was a cannonball sun <laughs> oh boy well don't leave us because of that joke <laughs> But if you made it that far, thanks for being here. Uh, and thank you for joining us again this week. Thank you to the official banterer supplier, Tyler Sanders, and our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Thank you to our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Parallel Printworks, and Stephen Holm Woodworking. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday, wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.